name is Tim Joya. Um, I am the pastoral candidate. My wife Sarah is here as well. She's the pretty one in the front row. Yeah, she definitely deserves a round of applause. Um, I'm so thankful and so excited to be here with you guys this weekend. This weekend has been so much fun. Um, so I just want to say thank you to everybody who came to the different events we've had, to, for the people who helped make that happen. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm super excited about potluck, so I will not keep us long because I am starving. Um, but thank you guys very much. Again, this has been an awesome weekend. I'm really, really appreciated getting to know you, um, getting to hear some of your stories, and I, and I hope to keep continuing to do that. Um, so today, especially after the service during a potluck, we also have game night tonight. If you have questions, you want to ask something about me or Sarah, um, you want to get to know us a little bit, grab us, talk to us. We want to hear your stories. We'd love to share a little bit of us. Um, and really just want to uh, get to know you guys and, and answer whatever questions you might have. So please feel free. Um, that's why we're here. So please feel free to grab us at any point um, today. Uh, so this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. So if you want to grab your Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew around you. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's in the New Testament. And as you're turning there, uh, I'll give you a little bit of idea of Colossians. So I like really was wrestling with what I wanted to preach this Sunday. Um, really didn't know what to what to do, and I, I landed on Colossians a because Colossians is super meaty. It's got a lot of good stuff, a lot of good truth in there. But also, Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul to a church he didn't know. It's to a church he had heard a lot of, he had had correspondence with, but not a church he had actually been to. He hadn't actually met them face to face. Um, and so let's face it, like you guys don't really know me, I don't really know you. Um, so I thought Colossians kind of fit. But what we can all center on, what, what Paul could, the reason Paul could teach and the reason Paul could speak into their lives is because there was a, a mutual understanding and appreciation and love of the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the same thing that unifies us here today. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pray, um, and then we are going to jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being good. Thank you for gathering us together to celebrate you, um, to sing praises to you, because just who you are is worthy of our praise. And then on top of that, you have given us blessing upon blessing, um, ultimately in your Son and the sacrifice he made. Uh, Lord, I pray that you speak through me this morning. Let me get out of your way so that you can do what you have planned for us here today. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Um, so this morning we're going to see, before we get into Colossians, we're going to see Paul encourage the church in Colossae, um, as well as us today, to do something that is pretty simple. It's pretty easy. He tells them, really quick, walk in Christ. Be like Christ, right? That's the whole point of what we're doing, right? That's the whole point of being a Christian. The, the whole goal is to be more and more like Christ. And Paul's, Paul explains to them, be like Christ. Walk in him. And then he gives us two really good uh, ways to help do that. I am a very practical person. I need very practical. Like the whole walk in Christ is kind of like, okay, how? Um, and Paul really helps us understand that. He really helps us see ways that we can do that. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians. All right. Um, so chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's stop right there. So Paul jumps right in. Says Paul says, walk in him. Now, he starts this verse with the word therefore. Um, super cheesy. Moody guys and girls will know this. 
when you see a therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. Uh, so this is Paul's way of saying, look, um, I just got done encouraging you, and I know if you look up in verses, verses 1 through 5, he says, look, I've heard good things. I know that this church is grounded in Christ. I know this church knows truth. I know that you know the gospel. It's something that is all about what you are. It is something that defines you as a community. And so in light of that, walk in that. Be like Christ is what Paul says. When Jesus called his disciples, when Jesus was starting his ministry and he called his disciples, he would say two words to those men. He said two words. What was the two words he would say to them? I promise it's not a rhetorical question or a hard one. Do you guys know? Follow me. Thank you. You know it. Not trick. I don't give trick questions, I promise. Follow me. He said, walk with me. In the Old Testament, when, when the rabbis were teaching, when they brought on students, they would say, follow me, walk with me, spend time with me, see me teach, see how I counsel, see how I live. And then when you are ready to be a rabbi, you can do the same thing. And the way that people hear you teach, the way they see you interact with people, they'll see me in you. That was the whole way that they, did, that they taught. And so what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, follow me, live, come see how I live, come see how I do this life. And then when I'm gone, you can do likewise. And that's what Paul is here telling the, current, or telling the church in Colossae and telling us. Walk in him. Be more like Christ. See, live in such a way so that people see Christ in the way you interact with the world. And Paul gives us four elements, four ways that this, four ways this should look like. He says, be rooted up, be, built, be rooted, be established, built up, and abound in thanksgiving. He says, be rooted in verse, uh, in verse 6. Or in verse 7, sorry. It says, be rooted and built up. Rooted like a tree, right? A big old tree sends roots deep into the ground. The house I grew up at, my parents' house, had this awesome, beautiful backyard. It was huge, lots of flowers. My parents did a lot of time in landscaping. We would spend hours back there. Parties, play basketball, kickball. We'd run around. I took naps out there accidentally. Like It was awesome. One of my favorite places to be, especially in the summer. And one of the things, we had this beautiful deck, and in the middle of the deck was this giant tree. This tree shot up. Like, the deck was built around the tree because that thing wasn't going anywhere. Um, this tree was still growing. Like, over the years, my dad has had to replace the wood on the deck because the roots of the tree have shifted, and the tree has continued to grow in such a way that it's messed up the wood in the deck. It's one of his least favorite jobs because um, he's got to rip everything up and replace everything. And so in the same way, Paul says, like a tree sends its roots deep into the ground. Be rooted in the gospel. Be rooted in what you know to be true. And in the same way, he says, be built up in the gospel. Right, this building, when this building was made, there was, they dug down and they laid this firm, smooth, flat foundation. And on that foundation, they built stone and mortar. They, they built this place up. And a, a building can only last if it has a firm, solid, smooth foundation. And so he says, be built up in the gospel. Like those bricks, lean on each other. Lean on the gospel. Lean on the truth that you know. Lean on one another. Lean on that truth that you know. Because a building can rise only if it has a firm foundation, and our foundation is the firmest possible. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, be rooted like a tree. Be built up like a building. Be established. The word for established there is made sure, confirmed. Be secure in what you know. Do not waver from what you know, from what you have been taught. 
There is no backing down. There is no turning back. You will not waver from the truth. Be grounded. Be established in what you know. And then Paul says, do this abounding in thanksgiving. Have an excess of thanksgiving in the way that you live. I had a conversation with a buddy of mine last week. He had heard a sermon that was talking about works and why Christians do good works. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we live the way that we live? And the pastor had said um, that one of the reasons, one of the motivations was uh, because you're storing up treasures in heaven. Right? That's, that's something that we're taught from a young age is as you do good, you're, you're storing up treasures in heaven. And we're told to store up those treasures in heaven, not store up treasures on earth. But for me, I don't know about you guys, but like for me, the idea of like, I don't do good because I'm storing something up in heaven, right? Like that's not, that doesn't go in my head. Like I don't do something good. I don't try and live in such a way that reflects Christ to the world and think, ooh, I just got me another treasure in heaven. Yes. That's not how I think. At least that's, that's me. Maybe you guys do. I think what Paul is saying here, when he says abound in thanksgiving, I think thanksgiving is it's a response, right? What, what are you thankful for? Thankfulness doesn't come from just out of nothingness. Thankfulness comes as a response. And I think thanksgiving, I think this is really the key to this walking Christ idea because thanksgiving needs to be a mark of the Christian life. Because if we're living, if we're serving the church, if we're serving outside the church, and we're living this life and it's not coming from joy and from thanksgiving, that's when you see people get burnt out. That's when you see people walk away from their faith. That's when you see people fall away and get tired and say, maybe this isn't for me. Because they're not doing it out of joy. They're doing it out of responsibility. They're doing it because I have to do these things. The church says I have to do X, Y, and Z. No. Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's about relationships. And it's about having a response. We do good. We live with thanksgiving. We live in the way that we do out of response to what Christ has already done. It's a response thing, not a salvation thing. We don't do good works so that we can earn favor with God. We already have all the favor with God we can possibly gather. We do these things as a response to him. So Paul says, be rooted, be built up, be established, and do it with thanksgiving. Have joy in your life. Have joy in knowing that the gospel has saved you, knowing the truth that has saved you. But with that, Paul gives us a warning in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the eternal spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So in trying to walk in Christ, in trying to do this, Paul is saying, okay, you're going to walk in Christ, be careful, because there are people that will rise up who are going to try and lead you astray. These false teachers are going to use philosophy, which at the time was kind of a catch-all phrase for the people who sat around trying to figure out the meaning of life and the problem of evil and general spirituality. Um, all of those kind of random spiritual religions kind of got thrown into philosophy. Philosophy itself is not bad. Critical thinking is not bad. It makes for a really good barista. But philosophy and, and this vague general spirituality, that is not what we are called to live. Right? And Paul isn't talking about the people who here, he's not warning against the people who are like totally anti-church, people who are totally anti-Christianity and are looking for a fight, people who say, your Bible is wrong, there's no way the ark was as big as it was, there's no way he parted the Red Sea, the sun didn't stop, all of those things, the people who want to like pick a fight with you. That's not who he's talking about here. Paul is referring to the people who 
raise up enough questions. They try and manipulate the text a little bit. They try and say, well, but what about this? And they twist things just enough to confuse. They twist things just enough to manipulate. That's been Satan's game forever, right? That's what he did in the garden to Adam and Eve. He didn't come out and say, look, I am anti-God. You need to eat this fruit. It's delicious. No, he twisted God's words just enough to confuse, just enough to put a, a little bit of doubt into Adam and Eve. This is not uh, the person who is looking for a fight. This is the person who just, just kind of tweaks things just enough. And this happens all the time. This happens by people who call themselves Christians. This people, it happens from people who call themselves pastors. And they say something, and this is, in today's world, it's, it's instant, right? We have instant. Twitter is boom. It's a response. You snap a picture. You get a quick video. We don't fact-check things. The news barely fact-checks things. Have you ever seen that where they like, put out a news story? There was a baseball player who passed away like, uh, about a month ago, and a week before he died, a news report, he was very old, and a news report put out a story that said he had passed away. And for like three days, the story was out, and then it came out, no, he's not dead. What? Somebody make a phone call. Like, but that's not the world we live in now. It's just instant. I've got to be the first one to put this stuff out there. I've got to be the first one to say something. And so because of that, we don't fact-check things. We don't actually go and do the investigative work. The Bible tells us in 1 John, it says, test the Spirit. You want to know if something is good? You want to know if something is from God? Does it point people to Jesus? If it points people to Jesus, it's from God. If it doesn't point people to Jesus, not from God. But that means we've got to do a little bit of legwork. It means we've got to actually study. It means we have to actually be in community and ask questions. We have to get to know this. We have to get to know the Word. We have to get to be in prayer. We have to do the legwork of figuring out are the things I'm hearing, just because it's called a Christian podcast or a Christian book, does it actually point me to Christ? Those are the people Paul is warning us against. And I think it's interesting that he says, he doesn't, this isn't like a, hey, while you're walking, while you're trying to walk in Christ, this might happen, these people might show up. He just says, avoid these people, because it's going to happen. Those people are out there. These people are out there and are looking to deceive and are looking to lead you astray. They are looking to mess with the roots of your tree. They are looking to put cracks in the foundation of your building. Be on guard for these people. And all of these things he lists out, human tradition, empty deceit, elemental spirits of the world, all of these things, the key is those last couple of words of that verse. Not according to Christ. All of these things, direct conflict with Jesus. So when our, when our faith becomes, when it's a vague spirituality, right? Everybody, all roads lead to heaven. Coexist with one another. Tolerance with one another. It's hard to have that mentality when Jesus says, I am the only way. It is through me you get to the Father. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Jesus doesn't play that tolerance game. He doesn't play that all roads lead to heaven game because his statements were black and white. You are with me or against me, but there is no in-between. Jesus here is saying, Paul is reminding them, look, it's not about this everything is good, we can all just tolerate one another. That is not the foundation that you have known. That is not the foundation you have been built on. Those people will look to deceive, so be on guard for them. So at this point, we have, Paul has said, walk in Christ. Be more like Jesus, and don't do this thing. 
okay, Paul, need some help, buddy. I need some actual direction. How do I do this? Because walk in Christ, be more like Christ, uh, kind of vague, right? Not, it's, it's kind of something you're going to hear in church, but I need some actual practical, how do I do this? So he gives us two practical ways we can do this. He says, remember who Jesus is and remember what he did. Look at verse 9 with me. For in him, him being Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul here is reminding them, he is teaching into a lie that was in the, the region at the time, that was filtering its way into the church at the time, that Jesus wasn't actually fully man. He was just more of a spirit being, but he didn't actually die because he wasn't actually a human. But Jesus was fully 100% man, fully 100% God. I don't really know how that works, I'm going to be honest. That's one that still confuses me. But what it does is it, it reminds us, gives us an insight into God and a relationship with God that we might not otherwise have. Jesus was fully man. That means he ate and he drank and he slept and he laughed and he cried and he got angry. He did those things. He was a person. He was a carpenter. There's a real good chance he was hammering something and he cracked himself in the thumb. Jesus was a person. He was a, he was a person, but he was also 100% God. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Do you want to know what God thinks about the poor, about the people in society that have been cast aside, about the people in society that that the society has said, you know what, we don't want to deal with you. What does God think about those people? How does he interact with those people? How did Jesus do it? Jesus spent time with them. Jesus loved them. He showed hospitality and compassion to those people. If you want to know how God feels about situations, how God thinks, how God interacts, how God would interact with the world if he came into the world, he did. Jesus. Paul's saying, remember who he is. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him. Yes, he gave up some things to come into earth, but he is fully God when he's on earth. He was fully God. And then verse 10 says that we have been filled up in him. That word in the Greek is you have been made complete. You have been fulfilled. You have been made whole in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So the one who has total control over everything, the one who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, the one who spoke everything into existence, in him you find your completeness. The one who knows everything, keeps everything spinning. In him, you find your identity. He is where you find that It's that relationship. It's not your job. It's not your marriage. It's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's not school. Paul is saying it is in him who is in complete and all control of all existence. He is where you find your identity. Remember this. Remember who he is. Remember that you serve the God who is in control of all things and the God who loved you enough to come to this earth and be fully human, which means he went through, he was tempted in every way possible, which means you can identify with what he went through and he can identify with what you go through. He can identify and he understands that life is hard, that life is messy, that life is exhausting. He gets that. He can empathize. He can sympathize. You can go to him and say, God, this is hard. 
And he gets that. And he can be there to comfort you. And it's not the kind of comfort where he doesn't understand your human emotions. He gets it because he experienced those human emotions. This is the God that you have relationship with. So remember who he is and remember what he did. Look with me at verse 11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Remember what he did. It says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the Old Testament, circumcision was how God set apart his people. He called his people the Israelites, and he had them be circumcised. The men in the, the, men in the tribe were circumcised. And this was a physical mark that said, you are separate, and you are different from all other people. You are, you are gods. This was a, an important part of their relationship with God. And then you fast forward to the New Testament. And in the New Testament church, you got Jews and Gentiles getting together, trying to figure out how to do life together, trying to figure out how to do church together. And so a lot of places, you see this a lot of places in New Testament letters, the, old te- the, the Jews would get into this church and say, well, those guys, those Gentiles need to get circumcised. And the Gentiles were like, time out, what? Wait, what? I, well, I didn't sign up for that. I heard something about grace, but I didn't hear nothing about circumcision. And so Paul here, and he does it over and over in different letters, he says, look, that was for then. That was something that was part of this culture. That was something that was different. That's not for the whole church. That's not for you. He says, your mark is different. He says, you were circumcised by putting off the body of the flesh. Putting off means to strip and discard. Throw as far away as possible. Get rid of what Paul calls the body of the flesh, that sin part, that rebellious part of you. In other places, he says the old man. The old man has gone, the new has come. Get rid of that part. It was taken care of by Jesus at the cross. And so Paul here says, for you New Testament believers, for you new Christians, you Gentiles who are coming in, for you that physical mark is baptism. This is how you identify yourselves with Christ. This is how you identify yourselves as chosen and separate. Now, baptism is not a salvation thing. Baptism is a response, much like the thanksgiving, much like the good works we talked about earlier. Baptism is a response to what God has already done. It is a public declaration that I identify myself with Christ. And so, in the same way that Jesus died, was buried, and for three days was in the ground, and then he rose from the dead. In baptism, you go underwater, and you come up. And what does water do? Water cleans. And so you arise, and you are symbolically washed and made new in Christ. And so for Paul, for the New Testament church, and for us, it's, you don't have to worry about the circumcision thing. Your mark is be baptized. Declare publicly. Have that moment, that time where you get to identify with what Christ did for you by going underwater, coming up. You have been made new and clean in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God. And then he says, look, you were dead because without this, without this sacrifice that Christ has made, 
you were dead. Verse 13, so good. Verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Without this sacrifice of Christ, you are dead clinging to that old self. Dead and clinging to what you to, to your own good works. Dead and clinging to your own self-righteousness. Dead and clinging to, I can do it myself. I don't need God. I don't need Christ. I don't need this sacrifice. I got this. God says, no, you don't. You're dead. You know how much stuff a dead person can do? Nothing. Not super active. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, without Christ, you're dead. You're stuck. You have no activeness. But because God is love, he made us alive together in Christ. He has taken all of our trespasses. Funny word. The Greek word for all in the New Testament, you know what it means? All. You cannot outsin God's love. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you have done. There is nothing you will do to outsin God's love and God's forgiveness. And He has forgiven all of our trespasses. He has forgiven everything that has happened to you and everything that you are going to do. All. Paul takes this step further. He says, Look, it's like having a debt. A friend of mine had a lot of school loans and, uh, from a couple different schools, actually. And one day he was getting ready for work. He woke up, got out of the shower, and he hears a knocking on his front door. And it was a couple of people from this uh, company that he owed money to, and uh, they came collected. They want their money, and they ended up taking him to court. They served him paperwork that said, look, you owe a debt to us. Your time is up. Your debt needs to get paid. And they took him to court, and they had this paper that said, look, you signed, and you said you would have the money for us, and you don't, and we want it. Paul says, that's what you were in. You were in debt. We owed a debt. The wages of sin is death. The created order, when God started everything, the created order says, if there's going to be sin, if you're going to rebel against me, there's got to be bloodshed. We all have a debt to pay. Death, blood, that is the debt for sin. But through Christ's death on the cross, our debt has been paid. That debt has been canceled. No one stands in a courtroom and says, you owe us something. There is no one accusing you of being in debt anymore if you are found in Christ. If you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you are no longer in debt because he has paid for it. At that moment, at that time, Christ hung on the cross and every sin from Adam and Eve biting into that fruit all the way up to that moment in history where Christ hung on the cross, all the way up to future sins to when he comes back, including next Tuesday when we screw up and yell at the person who cut us off in traffic. Every sin at that moment was on Christ. God says, I am good, I am love, and I want to have a relationship with my creation. And the only way to do that is through Christ's sacrifice. That debt has been canceled. There is no longer a demand against us. It says God set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. Your debt has been paid in full by the sacrifice of Jesus. It was paid in full by Christ. God, there are these moments in history and in the Bible where I really think God is just showing off. There are times where I feel like 
you know, because he's God, because he's fully in control of everything, there are these moments where he's like, you know what? I could just do this thing and take care of it, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to show how awesome and good I am. And that's what Paul is talking about there in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Right, the story of that Easter weekend, Jesus is abandoned by his best friends. He's betrayed by one of his best friends. He's arrested and beaten, and he's executed. He's dead. They take the spear and they jam it up into his side and up into his heart. They take him off the cross and they bury him. Man, if that's the end of the movie, if that's world credits, that's the worst movie ever made. But that's what it looked like, right? That's, it looked like the bad guys won. For three days, it looked like those in charge, those rulers and authorities, those people who schemed against Jesus, it looked like they won. It looked like Satan himself had finally defeated God. His followers, Jesus' followers are hiding. They're scattered. Jesus is dead. Everything is in chaos. Worst ending ever, but we know that the movie doesn't end there. On that Sunday, Jesus rose. And by doing that, he disarmed them and he put everybody that was against him to shame. I mean, think about it. Think about all the things he went through. The beatings, the, the accusations, the spit, the whips, the crown of thorns, the actual execution, all of these things. And then being put in a grave and had this giant boulder rolled in front of the grave. There's guards at the door. But Sunday morning, none of that mattered. Sunday morning, he stood and said, look, you did your worst to me and you couldn't beat me. Jesus proved, I am bigger than sin. I am bigger than death. I am bigger than hell and the grave. In the resurrection, we see that Jesus was bigger than all of these things and more powerful. He put to shame those things that were against him and are against us and says, I am bigger than them. I am more powerful than them. Trust me. I showed it to you in the resurrection. Jesus' sacrifice pays our debt, our debt of having sin, rebellion against God. We rebel against God and that separates us from him, but because God is good, he sends Jesus who lives a perfect life, fully God, fully human, and he allows himself to go through these horrible things. He allows himself to be killed. And in that moment, as he hung on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I can have the righteousness of God. He exchanges his goodness, his righteousness for our sins so that we can have a right relationship with God. And it's believing that truth, trusting that truth, that gospel message, that firm foundation, trusting that gives us right relationship with God. And that's it. That's all you need. It is not that vague spirituality. It is not that philosophy and those things that he, Paul warned us against. It is truth that Jesus is who, exactly who he said he was. And what he did on the cross changes everything. We are told to walk in him, to be rooted and built up and established, grounded in the truth of Jesus' sacrifice. Let that be the foundation for you. And out of that, out of knowing what Christ did for us, out of knowing the love and mercy he showed for us, let that motivate us in thanksgiving, in just joy. We should celebrate that. We should rediscover and remind ourselves of that truth every day and have joy and thanksgiving, and that be our motivation for the way that we interact with the world. 
that be our motivation for the way that we interact with one another. Have abounding joy. Overflowing joy is what Paul talks about. But be warned because, I don't know if you guys know this, but just because you become a Christian, everything is not sunshine and rainbows. Life is still messy. Life is still hard. There is still death. There is still pain. There is still suffering. We still have to deal with the effects of living in a fallen world. And because of that, there will be false teachers. There will be people who will try and mess with your foundation. There will be people who will try and put cracks in your foundation and cut off the roots of your deeply rooted tree. Test it. Test what they say. We live in a world where we have resources beyond belief. Podcasts and books and blogs and videos and articles and so much that can help you grow in your faith. But test it. Just because the guy has a microphone doesn't mean he's telling the truth. I am, I promise. (laughs) But test it. Do the legwork. Ask questions. Find people to ask questions of. Find people to do that with. Test those things because there are people looking to destroy you. Satan is looking to destroy you. And he will do whatever he can. And he will manipulate any way he can. Get to know the will of God through studying his word by being in community. Walk in him is not an easy command. It is not something that Paul throws out lightly. But it makes so much more sense when we focus on who Jesus was, on his deity, on the fact that God entered into humanity. He could have done it any other way, but he enters into humanity to show that he is good, to show that he is true. He reflects, Jesus was the perfect imprint of God on earth. Focus on what he did, his life, death, burial, resurrection. Let that be the thing that drives us as we walk in Christ. Focus on who he was and what he did as we walk in Christ. And one of the ways that we can do that is through communion. One of the ways we can do that, we can identify and remember who he was, is in communion. Man, I love communion. Communion that night... It's the Last Supper, right? It's the last time Jesus and his buddies are hanging out and they're having dinner. They're celebrating. And Jesus was the ultimate teacher, right? He's sitting by a vineyard and he says, I am the, I am the true vine. He's at a celebration where they're lighting the lamps. He says, I am the light of the world. And so one last time, before he knows exactly what's coming in the next couple of hours, Jesus is sitting with his buddies, sitting with his best friends, and he says to them, look, this bread that we have, this bread here, This is my body. It's being broken in a couple hours. I'm going to get beaten and tortured and executed. My body is going to be broken for you. So when you eat this bread, think of me. Think about the sacrifice I am making for you. And then he takes a a cup, a cup of wine, and he says, look, this wine is my blood that is going to be spilt for you. And in doing so, I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to take care of that debt that is held against you. And it's going to be canceled. It's going to be paid in full. And that's what communion is. Communion is a way for us to remember what he did, remember the experience of what he went through. So we're going to take communion. And the way we're going to do this is um, the bread is here and the cups are going to be here. Uh, you're going to come forward. You want to come up and look um, the band's going to play a little bit and... Um, Come up, you can take it here if you'd like, or you can take it back to your seats, take it as you want. 
But this is a time for believers. This is a time, if you're not a believer here this morning, we invite you to just hang out, listen to the music. If you'd like to take communion, the way to do that is to accept Christ as your personal Savior. To accept the sacrifice He made for you. The life that He lived. The death that He went through. The debt that He paid for you. Accept that He is the only way. It's not about you. It's not about how good you can be. It's about how great God is. Accept the sacrifice he made for you and then come and celebrate and eat with us. So you can come, take it here, or you can take it back to your seats and the band is going to play and we'll continue on in worship. Let's pray and then we'll have communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are trustworthy and faithful. You will never leave us. And the same God that stopped the sun in the sky for his people, the same God who split the Red Sea, that is the same God we serve and the God we pray to. The God who is awesome and big and wonderful. And God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. We thank you for that sacrifice he made for us. We thank you for how ugly and sometimes uncomfortable the cross can make us, and we thank you for the life that the empty grave represents, the fact that Jesus could not be held by sin or by death or by hell or by the grave, but because he is bigger than all of those things, he gives us new life. God, we thank you for his sacrifice, and we pray we might live in a way that is glorifying to him. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.